Good day to the wisdom community. This is uh, Reverend Jay Glover. I am glad to be here today um, as a topic. Um, I have redefining success. I want to give people a chance to come on. So let me just say this. Um, you can hear these these sessions, sessions played over again on uh, my website, which is www.revjaystuartglover.com. That's www.reverendjstuartglover.com. And today we're supposed to be picking up on the topic of redefining success. Now, I um, spent yesterday um, uh, with um, Laquita Monley. She, she has written a book, and, and I like the book. It's, it's, um, the title of the book is Redefining Success, and she, she proposes eight tools used to develop a growth mindset. Now, I, I, I like to, um, as a person of faith, I, I love to see the, the beauty of God in all of creation. You know, they say God uh, can be revealed to you through the beauty of nature. We look up in the sky and we see the glorious splendor of his majesty in creation. Um, we also see God's activity and his revelation comes to us through the, the biblical text. Um, so as we read and, and pray with the scriptures, God reveals himself to us very special and intimate way. The, um, the scriptures serve as a, as, as a uh, open line of commu communication between us and God. So just like we can look at nature and, and, and see the glory of God revealed to us, and we look in the biblical text and see the glory of God revealed to us, we can also, I get much delight from seeing the activity, activity of God in people's lives. Um, one of those people for sure is Laquita Monley. Yesterday we spent a, a great deal of time talking about her book, Redefining Success. And hopefully she comes through today and we can, we can talk about that a little bit more. But I wanna let you know that God is in the business of um, changing people's lives. We know the great story of, of um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts. Paul was, was um, uh, a person who was very well educated and he had a, um, a, a preoccupation, let's say, with, with persecuting Christians. This is before, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul and, and he, was a, he was a leader in the, in the religious community, and, and the Bible actually says that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And, and he went to this high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he, if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which is what they called the followers of Jesus before they called them Christians, um, whether men or women, he would take them as prisoners and bring them to Jerusalem. So Paul, before he was called Paul, he was Saul and he was 
and he was um, on a mission to, to um, persecute Christians, right? And again, I'm talking about um, uh, his, his transform God's ability to change people's lives. And so um, before Paul got saved, as we say, he was so enthusiastic about persecuting the followers of Christ that he sought out this special permission in writing from, from the high priest. And this letter would give him permission to, to go out and capture and arrest any, any of the followers of Jesus and, and bring them to Jerusalem for trial and punishment, perhaps even death. Um, so Paul, Saul, I should say, stood firmly against Christ. He rejected Jesus as Messiah. Saul was a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. Saul was highly educated in the tradition and the laws of the Jewish faith. And he had a zeal for God. But he was the embodiment of zeal combined with or commingled with pure. He wanted to punish and exterminate those who believed something different than his own religion. And he wanted to stop the spread of what he considered as being a, a blasphemous religion, which was these people who were out there following Jesus. So he was on this mission to persecute um, the followers of Jesus who were, who were again referred to as the followers of the way. So we have gently peeked into this problematic history, Saul's problematic history, right? And, and, but I think we should take a time to be gently reminded of our own problematic history before we came to know the Lord. We, and we should all offer a, a prayer of thanksgiving for God actually saving us and being active in our lives and, and interrupting our lives and, and coming in and, and bringing change into our lives. And, and as this book that um, Laquita Monley wrote, uh, um, he, he redefined, God redefines what our success should be and what it looks like. So as we continue to look at Paul's story, um, we see that the Bible, we see the, the power of his encounter with Christ. And, and um, you know, suddenly the, the Bible says that suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. So, you know, so you hear people say that he, uh, he was knocked off a horse. The Bible really doesn't say anything about a horse, but he was knocked to the ground. His journey was interrupted and he encountered Christ. So, Laquita Monley, I believe, is in the audience. She's with us. We're bringing her on to the space, and I thank her for coming. And we're going to be talking about her book, Redefining Success, Eight Tools Used to Develop a Growth Mindset. And Laquita, welcome. Thank you for coming today. Thank you so much, sir. It's such a pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to come um, and be a, on your platform today. Well, I, I just said that, you know, we spent some time yesterday um, with a different set of people in the listening audience talking about your book. And I think it certainly is worthy of, of reviewing with a new set of people um, uh, on these first two chapters. Um, Laquita, could you just tell us a little bit about, well, let's, let's start here. I, I started out the session by saying that we can look at the, the beauty of God's creation 
and, and see God's majestic splendor in all of creation. You look up in the heavens and, and you see the stars, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you have to think there must be a God, right? And so that's, that's one way that God reveals himself to us. Another way is through scripture, the Bible. You know, God's self-disclosure comes through the biblical text. Another way is we see the um, God's activity in people's lives. Mm. And, and, and you, you, in your book, you, you um, clearly articulate a God's activity in your own life. And you've come up with some tools used to help people to develop this growth mindset. And when you start out, what I like is um, you start out by first um, defining success or, or, or at least telling us what the, what the dictionary says and, and how we um, have formations of what success is. And so could you just tell us a little bit about um, how you perceive success when you were younger? Thank you so much. So at, when I was younger, the way I perceived success was, you know, the happy marriage, kids, you know, nice house, nice careers, um, you know, just what you would see on TV, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how I perceived success. So, you know, if you go to college and you work hard, get good jobs and, you know, just be good people, then you'd be able to obtain the things that uh, materialistically the world vis visually assists success is. And the longer I kept living, the more I realized that that's a big lie. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how do you overcome that lie? How do you come to a place and, and realize it's nothing wrong with the house and the cars and nothing wrong with the children? Of course, I have five of them, so, you know, we praise God for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, uh, traveling and having good careers, there's nothing wrong with those things. And, but as a young person, that's what I felt like success was. When you got those things, then everything in life will be okay. But that's just not the truth. For me, <laughs> in my house, we discovered that that's not what success meant to us and for us. And um, everything is just not all right when you achieve them, if you achieve them. Mm -hmm. So I like that, you know, um, you said that, um, you know, that the definitions, uh, a lot of the definitions point to success having to do with financial gain and prominence and and. And you say that we succumb to the external pressures of who we should be and what we should do without understanding that success is subjective. So mm -hmm. I, I have some feelings about about um, these um, varying um, varying interpretations of what success could possibly possibly be and how it gets perverted or twisted. First of all, for me, success is is not should not be defined by a culture that we live in a culture, I like to call it a culture of acquisition where we just, all we want is the big house, the, the, all the luxuries that the world has to offer for us individually. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's put, like, like you said, there's nothing wrong with having those things as long as those things don't have you as uh, owning you. And, and it right. becomes a form of idolatry. Success, right. you know, for young people, it scares me. And we talked about this yesterday that you know, the images that we see on um, on uh, music videos. Um, I'm a musician myself, I love music, but I don't like to see the imagery that's presented to our youth as, as success, what success is. Like, um, let's say um, all the jewelry, um, the riding around in the luxury cars, the, the big homes and 
uh, being surrounded by twerking women on a sw at a swimming pool party. Ooh, so you know, ooh. these are not the uh, or throwing money around. You know, making it rain, as they say. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's the image of success. But but mm -hmm. success is uh, when we actually plug into eternal life, and which is to know God, which begins now and puts mm -hmm. you in a right relationship with God. We don't have to. Some people think that we have to wait until we die to plug into eternal life, but actually it begins now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. you you know, you mentioned in your story that that the uh, that you kind of envisioned yourself almost like the Cosby family. I did, I did. And it, it wasn't intentional, right? Mm -hmm. You know, external factors have a major influence on who we become. Mm intentionally or unintentionally we it's just the things that are happening in the environment around us what we're listening to what we're watching um the environments that we're in they do have a tendency to have an impact on our life both positively and negatively mm -hmm. and for me growing up in um in rural mississippi that of uh, the cosby show had a great impact on my life. But what I did not realize was how much unconsciously I was trying to shape my future to be like that ideal family picture that they presented, mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing in and of itself. Right. But what happens oftentimes when we purposely do that or when we don't do that on purpose, right? It's unconscious is sometimes in our desire to achieve that, we make decisions that aren't in alignment with God's perfect will for our life. Or we become so frustrated when things don't work out like that and it, you're not living up to that, that we become disenfranchised, especially mm -hmm. as believers, we become, disen we, come, we become disenfranchised when in actuality, what you're trying to do is outside of the will of God for your life. Or let me say this, it, it, the way you're going about it is outside of the will of God for your life. Mm -hmm. Because it's, a, it's, it's not a bad thing to want a healthy family, you know? Right. When I, when I saw them, what I saw for myself uh, as a young girl was this is an amazing black family. The, both the mom and the dad are professionals and they're doing well in their careers and they have children and the children do do shenanigans but the children are not fitting into any of the stereotypes of the day as they're mm -hmm. related to african-american families and right. you know as a young kid i didn't have the capacity to understand that the cosby's in and of themselves they weren't a fictional thing like they're african-american families and have been african-american families throughout our country's history that fit into that mode. They just didn't get put on TV. They didn't right. get talked about on radio. So when I saw that and wanted to achieve that in my life, um, I got so wrapped up in it that I wasn't really dealing with my reality. I wasn't dealing with, okay, this is, you know, I'm, what does God want me to do? This is what God has called being to do. And, how are we to come together as a family and achieve these goals? I, we were just, um, as they say today, we were just chasing the bag. 
We were just trying mm-hmm. to do our best to achieve um, the financial status that we thought would bring us to the place of success and happiness. Mm-hmm. So you had you had a view of what, and like you said, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, of having a desire, a deep desire to have a family and, and everybody's doing well. Um, but like you said, going about it, how you go about it, your actual journey, um, things happen in life. Yes. Um, we run into adversities and, and the, the thing is that we don't want to, when we, okay, so we have this idea of what success looks like and then all of a sudden life throws us a curveball and we have difficulty along this journey. We, now we find ourselves coming up the rough side of the mountain as they say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I think my own pastor this morning, he said the good thing about coming up the rough side of the mountain is at least you got something to hold on to. Right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So you ran into a few um, adversities that got in the way of of your idea of success. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. I see I got like 14 seconds and it's going to kick me out. So I'll I'll come back to that. I got to change that now. Okay. All right. So, so okay, we're going to, you're going to come back in. I should have changed that time thing first. See, can I change the time for Laquita? She's coming in, she's coming back, she's coming back, she's coming back. Okay, Laquita, so we I apologize for the time constraint. I usually have the time set at 10 minutes. I should have changed it to an hour. I don't know if I can change it midstream here, but we're gonna um, keep on going. All right, so, you know, the, the challenges that, we, that, that I faced along the way, let, let's be, let me be very transparent by saying I created them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it came from me making some adult-sized decisions, and those adult-sized decisions came with adult-sized consequences. And so, um, I, I met my husband. I was 15, and he was 17. And uh, there came a point in our relationship where we felt like we had fa- fallen in love. And so, we had that conversation about, you know where are we going to be intimate or not? And initially upon uh, starting the date, I was firmly set against being intimate because of my faith system, right? Right, right. And the second thing, to be honest, that carried more weight um, at that time than my faith was, I just did not want to be the girl that the guys talked about, right? right? Like right. That was something that was not on the top of my list. You're, you're not going to sleep with me and then tell the whole world. Right. So... Right. We, and we dated well over a year and he stuck by that. He never mm-hmm. dishonored that. He never attempted to dishonor that. Damn so man. the way that we, um, the way that it actually ended up happening is one day I decided within myself. Right. I wanted to find out for right. myself. And at that time I felt like I was mature enough to know that I was in love and he was going to be the one. Right. So. I made that decision and said, okay. And he, of course, you know, he was like, are you sure? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And I should have said no again, because he had never tried to dishonor that. And lo and behold, we became to be parents. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, so, so then what? And so at that point I had to make another decision. Am I ready to be a teenage parent? Mm-hmm. Was I going to give my child up for adoption? Um, and I say mine um, because at that point in time, I did not have a real good 
I did not fully understand that it wasn't just about me. It was about me and my husband. But mm-hmm. and I and I thank God for my husband. Uh, when you are divinely connected to the person that you're supposed to be connected to, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So even in this process, he let me know his thoughts and his feelings, but he left that choice up to me. And Amen. so it was very much all about me, me, me when I made this decision. So I had to, you know, because I was, I, I didn't make a silly decision, but at that point I'd been, you know, my GPA was uh, like a 3.2. I was a very good athlete and I had a future ahead of me and a baby didn't fit in it. I had, right. you know, college prospects as, as um, a collegiate athlete whether I chose track or basketball and having a baby just didn't fit into that. So that was a factor in my decision. Plus the fact that I don't, I didn't know a thing about a kid, not one thing. Right. So my sister-in-law is, uh, my husband's oldest sister is gracious as she is. She said, okay, you know, if you decide to have the baby and not have an abortion, um, I realize that you guys have your future left ahead of you and I will adopt the baby. I will adopt the baby and raise the baby as my own so mm. that you could go on and achieve things in life that you want to achieve. You know, so my point there to the to the reader and to those that are listening, what God has already designed for you to do, when the scripture says that he will make a way of escape for you, he always does. And this is just the Lord showing me, yes, he loved me. Yes, I made a mistake. And there are options. If I so chose that option, but I then decided that no, if I have my child, I'm going to raise my child. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but Mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm a high school sophomore trying to make this decision, right? Um, Big decisions for a high school student. Again, you know, and and that's why I say adult-sized choices bring adult-sized consequences. Because when we feel like we're mature enough to make a decision that we make, then we have to factor in, am I mature enough to deal with the consequences of my decision? Mm-hmm. And But here's the good case, news. Here's yeah. the good news. I see just like, you know, we talked yesterday. Um, I don't, I so far, I didn't see you give up and roll over and die in this story. Um, no, no. You, you had some hope. <laughs> You had hope that there was um, um, a way and, and that, that God would, would create a way for you and place people in your lives to, to um, help you along your journey. And yesterday, we, talk, you know, we talked about this, this idea of perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a Baptist um, minister, the, our articles of faith say that the scriptures teach that real believers endure to the end. And that their mm-hmm. persevering attachment to Christ is the grandmark that distinguishes them from superficial professors. In other mm-hmm. words, that we're going to hold to God's unchanging hand no matter what. No matter what. <laughs> no matter and, what. And, you know, and, and then there's this story about the woman in the Bible who was bleeding. She had this medical condition that she was bleeding for so many years and everything in her life failed her. Her, her health failed her. Her finances failed her. The, the medical care failed her. The doctors failed her. And even the religious community marginalized her and labeled her as an unwanted outcast. So mm. society and everything about her life had failed her. But mm-hmm. instead of internalizing her suffering, Instead of suffering in silence, she recognized the failures, but um, she had hope and she pressed on without giving up. 
And she actually literally pressed through this crowd of people, all the distractions, mm. all the things that would keep her from getting to Jesus. She pushed her way through. And I must yeah. remind you that, you know, a woman in her condition back in those days being um, uh, being um, relegated as or defined as being ceremonially unclean, she wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to touch anybody. No, but no one she, she wasn't even supposed to be in town. That right. Is. But she violated, <laughs> she she went against all of that stuff and she pushed through the crowd and found her way to Jesus, right? Yes. Who changed her life. And yes. this transformative power of God moved her from being this unnamed suffering outcast in the story to, to be lifted up, healed, restored, and ultimately called daughter by Jesus mm. himself. So mm. thank God the good news was that you held on to some hope and some people came into your life that, that, um, uh, that were willing to help you out. So this endurance, this, it wasn't, you know, we sometimes we, we consider, you put a scripture in the book that mm -hmm. said, uh, let me read the scripture. It says, do not therefore fling away your confidence for it has a glorious and great reward for, for you have a need of patient endurance mm -hmm. and, and, and to bear, to bear up under these difficult circumstances. So the mm -hmm. patience the patient endurance, patience is sometimes confused with sitting around waiting for something to happen. Mm. And actually it's, it's working and partnering with God yes. to, to bring to uh, fruition his, his working in your life. Yes, yes, absolutely. We, we, have to, we have to learn how to partner with the Lord. And you know, those that would, um, would purchase the book and read the book, one of the things that um, will notice is I wasn't always willing to partner with the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, just that it took some years because like the chapters that you and I are discussing at that particular point, I was not desiring to partner with the Lord. I knew of God, but I did not have a relationship with him. And the, from, mm -hmm. I was making decisions from the standpoint of, oh, I don't want to go to hell. You know, right. I believe that God was real and I believe that Satan is real. And I knew I did not want to reside with the latter. Right. So as you, um, as you, you know, again, I have to apologize for having this time set the way it's set. But as you're coming back in, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I had a plan that really didn't work out for me. Um, and, and we'll, I'll do that while you're coming back in. Okay. And when you do come back in, I want you to tell everybody where they can get this wonderful book from. Yes, sir. And, yes, sir. And all of that stuff. So we're going to have to do a little liquita uh, commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just tell, you know, so we heard a little bit about Laquita's, um plan in life and her vision of success when she was young. Um, my, I share the same um, kind of uh, journey of, of having a, a, a desire to be something that wasn't necessarily what God wanted me to be. And that was to be a, a, a musician. I wanted to be a rock star with an emphasis on the star. I, I ended up with some success in the music business. and But that which I thought which would bring me success and happiness and peace and prosperity turned out to be um, something that actually put me on the trajectory towards despair and unhappiness. I mean, it sounds great. You know, you're in the fast lane riding around in limousines and traveling all over the place and playing in front of thousands of people screaming at you. Um, but somehow it didn't fill this need that I had in my life. Um, and that is because it wasn't in the will of God for me. Um, so now I want to, I want to um, 
And at some point I had to say yes to God to, to I actually pray to God to take me out of that situation and let me get a regular job and take care of my family. So speaking of um, getting, let's talk about where we can get this book. Awesome. So the book is available on Amazon mm -hmm. um, in both the Kindle version. Um, you can get the ebook on Amazon for two ninety nine. And if you are a Kindle Unlimited, um, if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, it's also available on Kindle Unlimited as well. The paperback book is also available on Amazon there as well. And so you, which is the easiest way to get it. Um, so the, I will also be able to provide uh, the paperback versions of the book via my website, uh, preferably by the end of this week, just trying to get that e-commerce side of it all sorted out and put together. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Amazon is always functioning. So if you want to take a, a look at the book, please don't hesitate to go out to Amazon. Um, type my name in if you can't remember the entire name of the book, uh, Laquita Mondley, and when you type my name in, the book as well as my podcast and a few anthologies that I felt to co-author will pop up. Um, go ahead and uh, put that book in your shopping cart. Mm -hmm. So, so um, first of all, I, I would recommend the book. It's always good for us to um, to continue learning in life and to to meditate on godly things. And there's certainly a godly message in this book. It's a message of God being able to change your life and providing you with tools to tap into the, from a practical lens. So it's, it's a combination of faith and practice. Okay. Amen. Sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect between our theory and our practice. We say we want to live like the Cosby show, but what we're doing doesn't exactly match up. So yes. I think, I think Laquita wants to give us some tools um, on how to get there. And, and the practice and practical helps. You know, they, they say um, um, we, need, we need to become co-workers and partners with God in this process. You know, you can't, Martin Luther King Jr. in his book um, is certainly a recommended reading as well, Strength to Love. He says, um, you know, talking about uh, eradicating evil from the face of the earth, he says, listen, it's not gonna happen by humanity's efforts alone. And it's not going to happen by God's efforts alone, where God waves his hand and, and all the evils of society disappear. It's going mm. to take humanity partnering with God in order to get this work done. So yeah. Lucreta said she had to say yes to God before things started happening and the Holy Spirit began to move in her life. You know, I had my grandmother had a, um, a sign on her refrigerator that said, if you want your prayers answered, you need to hustle, get up off your knees and mm -hmm. hustle. And Absolutely. so, so, and again, you know, I shared a story yesterday where a student came to me crying that she failed a test and, and but she prayed, she, she made a point, but Reverend, I prayed and I said, well, what did you pray for? She said, well, I prayed that I would pass the test. And I said, well, listen here, if you expect to God to do everything, while you do nothing, that's really not faith. That's more of a superstition. Wow. So, um, of right. course, she wasn't she wasn't happy hearing that. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, so we need to partner with God, say yes to God, which kind of brings us to um, Laquita's first tool, which is um, um, knowing who you are. There's a section. <laughs> Um, where she says Quita versus Quasha, right? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? This, this section of the book, this chapter has to do with identity. Yes. 
Yes, you know, and and it's because I I firmly believe um, now that everything in our life hinges on identity. When we know who we are, everything that we want to accomplish in life, we can. And what I mean by that is when I know who I am, um, then I understand my core values. And in understanding the core values and who I am, it becomes easier for me to then write the vision and make it plain because I know who I am. And accomplishing that or pursuing after my purpose, it makes more sense. So knowing who you are is absolutely vital. It's absolutely important. And I didn't I didn't always know who I was. Did not. And it and I came to the place of realizing that I had absolutely no idea what my identity was or who my identity was in uh, when a triggering moment happened to me because somebody was trying to get my attention. I was coming out of um, a service and uh, a, a lady that was friends with my mom wanted my attention. And so she said, hey, it's Kim's daughter. And uh, let's just say I was very rude to her, to say the least, very rude. And on the way home, I could not figure out why I'd gotten so out of character with this person and what was my problem. And so I, I had to take some time and meditate on that, not just on the journey home, but over the next several days. And I came to a place where I realized I had absolutely no idea who I was. And so when she failed to know my name and, and grab my attention by calling me my mother's daughter, uh, the fact that she didn't know my name is what sent me over the edge. That was my triggering moment. But the question remained, why? Mm -hmm. And the why was because I realized for the first time in, uh, in my life at that point, how much of a depression that I had been in for years. I knew I was in a dark place because I did not own my identity. And so it became vitally important to me to figure out who I was. But you know, you 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 um in in the book you 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 introduced this chapter with talking about the um some um, differences concerning the name that was showed up on your um, birth certificate and how it got to be. <laughs> yep. So and that was and it, and, it, and it's funny because um, I chose that name that because my friends, my family, uh, and close personal friends called me Quasha because my mother intended to name me La Quasha. And I, I was born in the 70s, and um, unfortunately, racism is a thing that permeates our country. Um, and at that time, it was particularly rough in Mississippi. So the You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so the birth nurse at that time felt like my mother and my father could not spell. They could not read or write when that wasn't true. My, they can spell. They can read or write, you know. But the way that my mother chose to spell my name, the birth nurse was not in agreement with it till later. Um, and my mom told me about the argument that they had at that time confirming the spelling of my name. Mm -hmm. Well, the nurse won. My mother thought she won, mm -hmm. but the nurse won. So when they went to get my birth certificate, they took off for a few times and they got back Laquita. And so my parents were very unhappy about that, but they were also unwilling to pay for something that someone else had done. So my mom made it her business to come to school with me every day, every first day of school. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes she'd come multiple times in that first week of school to let the teachers know that that is not my name. That is not how you're going to say her name. And she does <laughs> not have to answer you because I'm telling you what her name is. And it's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Even then, a lot of teachers would be combative about it. But mm-hmm. that's not what her name says. I don't care what you said it says. Her name is LaQuasha. And this is mm-hmm. what you're going to call her. And and ironically, sir, I experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. And my son was born in 1995. And the birth nurse and my husband had a long argument about the spelling of my son's name and mm-hmm. how he wanted to spell. And my son's name uh, is French in origin, so it has a feminine connotation to it, right? Mm-hmm. For us in American English. Well, right. the nurse won. Mm. <laughs> she spelled my son's name as it would be Daryl. My son's name right. is Dariel. Right, 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 right. She right. spelled it like Daryl. So right, 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 right. that history repeated itself at that same hospital because my oldest son was born in the same hospital that I was born in. Wow. So but, listen, while, while, you're, while you're coming back again, let me just say something about this identity um, struggle, let's say. And, and Henry um, Nouwen is an is a author, he's a theologian. He, he says, first of all, it's not even taking in consider your voc- into consideration your vocation, but first of all, you are a beloved child of God, mm. you know? And, and it's so powerful how, how media um, and other standards attempt to define who we are. Mm-hmm. and who mm-hmm. we should be in terms mm-hmm. of statistics, in terms of um, standards of, even standards of beauty, intellect, uh, uh, value as a person, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You're not, you're not the one who, who statistics, um, th- that statistics derived from a social location predict your outcome will be. You're not, you don't have to be that person. You're not the one that um, when you meet people who try to dehumanize you, say you're, you're that person. You don't have to be that. Um, and when I when I think about um, women that are, um, it, what comes to one of the things that comes to my mind is that women that are um, uh, victims of, of domestic violence, let's say, um, they they might have somebody. They might be hooked up with a person who's telling them that they are they're worthless. They're they're um, you know they're less than a person. And to the point where they they settle for being beat um, mm. by this husband or boyfriend or whatever, and after a while they begin to believe it, and and um, and so you know that presents a whole nother. That's definitely an identity and a misunderstanding of who God created you to be. God created you in His image, and and created you to bear to be a bearer of His image in this world and but you have all sorts of things and um, people telling you trying to tell you who you are and who you should be and how your life is supposed to turn out um Mm -hmm. unfortunately many of us have been you know i'm a person of faith so i have to say that many of us have been introduced to god from from a posture of fear and condemnation and and religious leaders have schooled us with threats of hell and 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 a self-identity as a fallen sinner who's whose righteousness as, is as filthy rags. So from our youth, the, the, the embedded theologies of our youth can sometimes lead us away from God. And, and if you keep listening to other people telling you 
who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do um, and how you are worthless and, and you're not valued as a person, that voice will get stronger and stronger. You know, that voice will come and tell you that you, you, you're not a real believer. You never were and you never will be. And if you keep mm -hmm. listening to that voice, this enemy of your well-being will take you by the hand like a false lover and lead you to a place of despair and desolation where you no longer even trust them. Mm. But, um, but Laquita says that I know who I am because I know whose I am. Yes. She yes. said in her book, she said, it is, the, it is the Lord who defines me, not my mother or the nurse or my mistakes. So you were not defined by your mistakes. You were able to, to um, redefine mm -hmm. your trajectory. Mm -hmm. And, and, and um, you know, um, so how, how, did, how did, what seemed to be a turning point in your life where you began to, you know, um, to realize that there was, you were gonna make it? That turning point for me came when I began to seek the Lord for who he was. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I realized as an adult that I was born and raised in church. Um, and my family has a, a deep history, a long history with the local congregation that um, the church that I was raised in. And so I thought that I knew the Lord. And what I realized was I knew of him. And mm -hmm. I had memorized a bunch of things from the Bible. Because, right. well, I didn't have a choice. Right. But in coming to a place of submission um, as an adult and mm -hmm. studying his word, I began to know who he was intimately. And but most importantly, what he said about me. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture that had the biggest impact on my life at that moment, because what. Uh, the reader will find out there is I had a very poor self-image, mm. very, very poor self-image. I was very, I felt like I was very insignificant in, as it related to the world. And within my marriage, I felt like I was more of a burden and not a helpmate at all. I just helped to bring more burdens, right? Mm. Um, so when I came across Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, that just changed my everything. Mm -hmm. Where I went and I realized that not only um, am I a daughter of the king, but from the very beginning, before Adam was ever created, humanity was a thought on the mind of God. And not right. just male as in the, you know, a, a, a man, right. but as humans, both male and female, we were on his mind. And that mm -hmm. I was created in the image of God. Amen. And he, and in being and created in his image, he also gave me dominion and power. Mm -hmm. He gave me authority. And that mm -hmm. to me was just amazing because of the self image that I had at that time. Very negative self image and feeling worthless. And so I realized how in the world can I be worthless if God made me? Mm -hmm. Amen. He made me. And he made me to be just like him and he made me to be equal with my husband. So just because I was a woman did not mean that I was less than. It that it did it that didn't mean that at all because we were both created in his image. And so I, I'll just if I can read that scripture verbatim. Sure. Um, 
Genesis 1, and I'm reading from the New King, from the, excuse me, from the King James Version. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them, man and woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Mm-hmm. So God created man, humanity, mm-hmm. in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And not only am I created in his image, and not only did I have that authority, but he said, and God blessed them. I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. I'm highly favored in the Lord. I'm worthy to be envy. I am blessed. Mm-hmm. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the face of the deep. Mm-hmm. And so at that time when I was beginning to know who God is, I have five children. Mm-hmm. So that replenish the earth and subdue it meant a great deal to me because attached to my negative self-image was the fact that I had so many children. Right. And because of the, my young age, when I began to start to have children, my education did not was not where I thought it should be so that I could get the good job to help my husband. So my husband was carrying all of the financial burden. Right. And at the way my brain was processing at that time, that's what made me a burden to my husband and not a help. Because I just kept having all these babies. Mm-hmm. All I could do is keep having all these babies. Right. And I can't help bring in a quarter of nickel or a dime because even if I go to put them in the daycare, because of my lack of education, I can only earn enough money to pay the daycare expense and pay for the gas. So that's really no purpose. Right. Right. Fine. But reading that started to shape some things. And so um, learning more who God is, more about who he is and who he says that I am. That made the world of difference for my self-image and for me understanding just how powerful I am. Well, in the, in the, um, in the, I think in the closing of the first chapter, you put forth some questions. One of them is, who does God say I am? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and there's a scripture that comes to mind. If somebody's listening and they never heard these scriptures before, it's in the book of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. It says this, um, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you Mm -hmm. are mine. Mm -hmm. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in Mm -hmm. my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. And I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully Wonderfully made. made. And your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that farewell, full well. And and Jeremiah, another Mm -hmm. prophetic book, says that uh, through the prophet, God says, I know the plans I have for you, the plans mm-hmm. of God. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then mm-hmm. you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> so the, the this identity issue, um, what would you say? I was thinking about this yes, um, today. As a matter of fact. What would you say to a woman who's experiencing domestic violence you know this is my thing and mm-hmm. you know women uh, get in a, in a uh, or men too I mean if you supposedly if you listen to the Johnny Depp trial <laughs> <laughs> they do that, experience it they, that, that, they do experience it yeah that that <laughs> there's abuse that goes on what they call domestic violence and and uh, I lost a niece to domestic violence she, she was shot mm. um, by her boyfriend mm. and um 
so, you know, the, the sad part is that what I'm here, what I've come to know is that often women are trapped in this situation and mm -hmm. they, they refuse to leave and they okay. think somehow things are going to get better. If, if they're not thinking that things are going to get better, they start to think that they actually deserve what's happening to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and that, that this, is, this is the way life, this is their identity is shaped by this mm -hmm. existence and this is what's supposed to happen. So mm -hmm. um, I know you got to come back in, but when you come back in, I want you to um, just, if you could just speak to that um, for those who are, if there's anybody listening, who is experiencing uh, living in a domestic violence situation, or if there's somebody listening who is, um, who is creating a domestic violence situation and thinks it's the right thing to do because you're the, the man of the house, uh, the head of the household, and all of this kind of stuff. You have the right to, to put your hands on somebody else's child. I, I would like Laquita to, to talk about that briefly, on how a woman can think about coming out from underneath this um, sort of oppression. I know when, when my daughter was married, a young man came to me, and he said, you know, I want to marry your daughter. He was real old-fashioned about it. And I said, okay, i tell you one thing, though. If I ever get one of those phone calls that, you know, <laughs> you're beating her up or something <laughs> like that, I'm going to be coming through the door and I'm not going to be alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, so there's nothing worse than getting beat up by a preacher, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so Laquita, what would you, what could we possibly say to somebody who's living in a domestic violence situation? Mm, so... Um, that's a really good question. And let, let me start off by saying um, I am by no means a clinician. Right. I'm not a mental health professional. Um, I am a minister of the gospel. And though in some states we may not be required to be mandatory reporters, I will always be a mandatory reporter. So let me mm -hmm. say that. Amen. Um, because domestic violence is not of God. I don't care if the abuser is... Uh, calling himself or herself a man or woman of God that's straight right. from the pits of hell. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would say to that sister um, would be, you know, who does God say that you are? Mm -hmm. And in that situation, um, if by chance she has a very low self-image of herself and she believes that um, she deserves these things and she's not worthy of anything better than that type of man, you know, I will remind her of what the Lord, what the Lord said in the book of Jeremiah as well, Jeremiah 1 and 5, and, and I'll um, paraphrase, I'll, I'll read that really quickly. Um, Jeremiah 1 and 5, uh, the scripture says, before I was, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before mm -hmm. thou came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before you were a thought on your mama and daddy's mind, sis, God already knew you were coming. You're not a mistake. I don't care what somebody might have said to you in your lifetime. You are not a mistake. You are valuable. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has a purpose and a plan for you. Yes, these things that are, that are taking place and going on are not good. But God also has made a way of escape. And if he has allowed us to come together and be divinely connected, if you will allow me, I'll help you to be that conduit for you to make your escape from that situation and know that you deserve so much better. 
but the, that individual has to believe that they deserve better. They have to believe that they're worthy of better and that they're greater. And that this person that is inflicting the abuse upon them is the one that's out of order, is the one that's out of place, is the one that's breaking the law. And that there is never, ever, ever, ever any justification for someone putting their hands on you. There's never, ever, ever any justification for financial abuse where that person is keeping the financial resources from you. There's never, ever, ever any justification for someone verbally and mentally abusing you. The words that we speak should bring life and not death. And if that person is consistently and continuously speaking negative to you and, and saying abusive things to you or about you, then those are situations that you have to leave. Amen to that. Amen to that. It, it is. And you know, if somebody is listening, God is the God of liberation and freedom. And, Amen. and, and you remaining in a situation that oppresses you mm -hmm. is stands antithetical to the will of God. It's against God's will. So mm -hmm. you need to say yes to God and make some moves. Mm -hmm. um, as and Laquita said, there's no, there's no justification for anybody for putting their hands on you. And let um, me say and, this. And, mm -hmm as well, especially for those that um, may be affiliated with a religion, whether it's Christianity or any other religion mm -hmm. that may uh, say something along the lines of, you know, women have to submit and, and then men or, you know, in that position of authority and that mm -hmm. we're just going to believe God for that person's deliverance and healing that they no longer be abusive. Woman of God, man of God, we can pray and believe God from a distance. You do not have to remain in that situation in order for God to hear your prayer. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to remain in that situation because that is not of God. When God said, let me, when God looked at Adam and he said that it is not good for man to be alone, let me make a help me for him. And he put Adam into that deep sleep and pulled that rib out of his side and crafted woman. And he blew the breath of life into the woman the same way he blew the breath of life into man. You are his helpmate. He looked at the man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he created you so that you could be a help to him. You are just as valuable as he is. But if he can't see your value and your worth, then you need to separate yourself from that situation. If he is loving you the way, if in his confession that he loved you more than someone else could ever love you, the word of God says that that a husband, um, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing if I favor in the sight of the Lord. If you are his good thing and he believes that you've given him favor in the sight of the Lord, we don't abuse that which is good to us. And abuse means improper use improper use. That's how I abuse a thing. I use it outside of its proper capacity. If he's not doing that, more so, the scripture also lets us know that you know, the, that the man is supposed to love his wife as Christ doth love the church and gave himself for it. He is supposed to love you unconditionally. Jesus loved the church so much that he came, was beaten, hung on a cross, bled and died and resurrected so that we can have an opportunity for eternal life. 
That's how much he's supposed to love you because that's what the scripture commanded him to do. If he's not doing that, sis, and he's abusing you in any way, we can still believe God because he's a soul and we don't want his soul damned to hell for eternity. We can believe God from a safe distance. Amen. You don't have to remain in that in order for you to be uh, the godly wife that covers her husband in prayer or covers your wife in prayer to the place that they receive salvation and conversion and healing and deliverance. You don't have to submit yourself to that abuse. You can do that from a safe distance until that person is walking in that newness that they will receive once they truly receive Christ in their life. Amen. You know, so so again, this comes back to this question of identity. So we can't let other people define who we are. Um, when I looked at that word where, where the Bible says that God made a helper for man, that mm -hmm. word helper doesn't mean somebody to do the dishes. Come on now. It doesn't mean somebody <laughs> to clean the house and cook the food. That's not what that means. It That's actually, that means. It, had, it was a word of empowerment mm -hmm. that, that um, uh, the the woman was it had more to do with the idea of surrounding and protecting um, this journey, this co-partnering um, relationship with God mm -hmm. and each other as mm -hmm. you bring in love, justice, and peace in this world. So it had mm -hmm. nothing to do with being less than <laughs> at Come all. Yeah. 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 So, so I lost a niece to to domestic violence. Our boyfriend shot her about eight times and killed her dead. And and you know um, so. There's, you know, the, the closing questions for this first chapter are, do I love what I'm doing or, I, or am I just occupying time? And that's a question mm -hmm. to ask yourself if you find yourself in a position of, of being abused. Are you, do you love this? No, you really don't. And you're just mm -hmm. occupying the time, letting somebody define who you, who you should be to, mm -hmm. to, in, in fulfillment of their dreams. And their mm -hmm. their uh, perverted views of, of what a relationship is all about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, the big question is, who does God say that I am? Mm -hmm. and, and, and who do you say you are mm -hmm. to God? Right? Who do you say God is? So mm -hmm. so that we kind of went through the um, the the first chapter with the first takeaway being uh, Laquita writes that the first two takeaways, everything hinges on knowing who you are in Christ. And then she 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 goes into um, this call to connect, which is the second tool. And it says that relationships are our greatest resource. Yes, and yes. obviously not the relationship we just were talking about. No, not at all. <laughs> so what, what do you mean when we talk about these relationships? Our relationships are being our greatest resource. Let me, let me say it like this. Uh, uh, when I'm talking about, you know, understanding the people in your network, I like to use that uh, symbol of the dartboard. You know, on the dartboard, everything on the dartboard has a value, but those outside rings have less. Uh-oh, I think, uh, I think Laquita cut herself off and I hope she can hear me there. She's coming back. Amen. She's back. And, and, and Laquita, thanks for coming back. And, and those of you who are listening, get, please get in point. Yeah. So on that dartboard, the outside rings have value, but they have less value. The closer you get to the bullseye, the more value 
um, those targets are, right? And then when you get dead bullseye center, not very many people can fit in that space, right? And I like to use the dartboard as how are you placing people in your life? The people who are occupying the space that is closest to the bullseye that are adding the most value in your life, are they really adding value? Or are they detracting from who you are? Mm -hmm. So we have to evaluate our circle because the people in our circle and our close, close circle should be people that are adding value to our life in some shape, form, or fashion. Whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, spiritual, psychological, they should be adding value to you and you should be adding value to them. It's a reciprocal relationship. The people on the outside of the dartboard, more than likely, those are people who are coming to you because they have a need and they're all you're always depositing to them but the only deposit they can make to you is a negative deposit. You need to keep them on the outside. Mm -hmm. When the people who are the closest to you, who can add the value, they can see who you are and understand the path that you're taking. And they are doing everything within their power to help you get to that path. They don't have to give you a quarter nickel dime a penny. But if they are speaking positive into your life, they're encouraging you, they're helping you work through ideas, you know, they're doing other tangible things to help you achieve and walk in your purpose, they're valuable. And that's what I mean about, um, and number two, relationships are our greatest resources. Those people who we're in close relationship with, they are our most valuable resources. Mm -hmm. and, and this can be this can be a challenge to young people because Often we, we develop very close friendships young. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll find that one of those friends might be trying to lead you to hell. Yes. <laughs> and and, and be, the relationship becomes toxic and you might have right. to sever, sever your relationship or mm -hmm. have a relationship from a distance so mm -hmm. that you don't end up being dragged down into the gutters of life because of your loyalty to somebody else. Exactly. You know, you have, as 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 um, young people or mature people, we have to look at what is the reason that I'm connected to this person? Mm. That, is this a toxic connection? Did we get connected based off of a common pitfall, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, within the body of Christ, we will say it as a familiar connection, right? A familiar spirit. Or we both have struggling with the same struggle. That's why we're connected. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. As long as one of y'all done overcome. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I can the blind lead the blind. Let's say both fall up in the ditch. But if or or are both of you trying to overcome, right? If both of you are trying to overcome and trying to help each other stay accountable for getting one step closer to your desired result, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But if you are trying to overcome and they're trying to remain, now you don't want to be connected to them. Right, right. At least not in your immediate circle. You need to keep them somewhere on the outside of that dartboard. You know, every now and then you go by. And, every now and then you might text them and say, hey, what's up? How you doing? Just checking on you. But not where they have the ability to continue to speak into your life. Right. And bring that negativity into your life. That's not that's not what you want. Our relationships are our greatest resources. When you look at the people who you deem successful, right? And you look at the people who they talk about that motivate them, inspire them, the people that they keep in their corner, 
those people are likely, more than likely, successful in their own right. Because here's the thing, someone who has not achieved the goals in life that you are trying to achieve, they can't help you get there. They can't, we can only help someone according to the level of the knowledge that we have. Mm -hmm. So if we both are limited in our knowledge and limited in our scope, it will behoove us to go and make connections to people who have already achieved what we're trying to achieve so they can help us create a roadmap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our relationships are by far our greatest resource. So now in, 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 in the book, um, Lucreta, you have shared your testimonies of the falling apart at the seams of your life's plans early in life. You mm. know, athletic scholarships and higher education, all of that stuff um, going through the cracks because of this trauma uh, mm -hmm. or an in interruption in your life, uh, an unexpected interruption of, you know, um, having children, um, and, and other strains on your relationship. Um, so, mm -hmm. so far we've been talking about, um, the, in this chapter so far, you've, we've somehow got on the topic of negative relationships and toxic relationships, but there was somebody who you mentioned in this book who, who was just the opposite of that. Someone who stood with you in solidarity and gave you some support. And her mm -hmm. name in the book was Mrs. Margaret Martin. Can you tell us yeah. about her? Oh, she's a wonderful individual, an amazing person. And she definitely was sent by God at that time. Um, she was a social worker. Um, and at that time, because I was young, um, I was considered high risk. And so as high risk, you automatically get a social worker because you're high risk. And her job was to see, you know, just to see me through an encouragement. But because the, the woman of God took her so this was her passion. This was the thing that she knew God had called her to do. She took it very seriously. So not only um, was she willing to help me, but she was willing to help my husband. She was willing to help our families because, and, and I thank God for our families. They didn't throw us away. They didn't condemn her because of the decision that we made. They wanted to do everything that they knew how to do to help make sure we were successful. And so they were very receptive um, to uh, Miss Martin coming into our lives. And, but what really helped me to understand just how important this woman was, was on a particular visit, um, she asked me what did I want to do? Basically, mm -hmm. the what do you want to do when you grow up question. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was in despair because I had no idea, I thought I knew. But mm -hmm. now that I made this decision to be a teenage parent, what I was being told at the school, at my school was, um, no, when you get into that second trimester, we're gonna need you to go to our program that we have and get your GED and, you know, learn how to keep house and balance a checkbook. And by the time you finish the class, you'll already have your, um, your benefits, which was, you know, uh, in Mississippi, it was, uh, you know, food stamps, whatever little check was coming in and get you set up in your apartment in a project. Well, here's the thing, Pastor, I didn't live in the project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, <laughs> how I about that? Know. You know, nothing wrong with the projects. Don't get me wrong, nothing right. wrong with the projects. My family started out there, but they, you know, like the Jeffersons, they worked, my parents worked themselves um, until out of that situation. My grandparents worked themselves out of that situation. So right. why would I want to go back? Right. My, my husband did not live in the project. 
Right. So why would he, why would I want to do that? But that's what they were telling me I had to do. Right. And so I shared that with her and how I had no clue. And what she did was told me a truth. She said, that's not the law. That's not required. If the school can get you and your family to agree to do that, then of course y'all can do that. But if you still want to go to college, young lady, you can. Your grades say that you can. Mm-hmm. So you tell them no, and you continue to do the work. You just have to do the schoolwork still the way that you've always done it, um, especially when you're out on maternity leave. And so when I made that decision, when my family and I made that decision, the school did everything in its power to discourage me. Mm-hmm. My assistant principal followed me every day from mm-hmm. class to class just so I could know that they were not happy with my decision and that if anything happened to me that they were not going to be financially responsible because here's the thing, the school did not want that liability against them legally uh, or, or from a financial standpoint if something happened to me because I'm pregnant on campus mm-hmm. and they let me know that every day mm-hmm. until I left which was a tremendous amount of pressure. When I say he followed me everywhere, to every class, he followed me everywhere, to every class. He was My goodness. Me. My <laughs> goodness. Well, From um, that well, you know, I, I, I love the inclusion of this person in, in, in your book um, uh, because, you know, God placed her in your life as a companion <laughs> along your faith and life journey. And we pray that we can have wisdom and strength to be that same kind of person in the lives of other people. You know, one of the sad things that happens is when difficulty strikes or enter life throws us a curveball or painful experiences upset our lives. We have a proclivity. We have a tendency to um, to to recall, recoil into isolation, which is dangerous. And 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 as um, believers and as human beings, we're called to be communal. So I say that because we all need to be in the context of a community. And when things start going wrong, it's a very good idea for a, a person to not go into isolation and suffering and silence. That they need to reach out to to someone who can actually be of some help to them. Um, mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, we are, we are created for that. We're all gifted. We, we have our own gifts that we can bring to the community. No one person holds all of those gifts. But I, um, I would just want to discourage anybody who's going through, if you learn something, take away something from this, is that from this portion of the book is that um, you don't want to just, you know, Laquita had a lot of obstacles in the way. That adversities, and she didn't roll over and die, as I like to say. She didn't um, turn to inwardly to isolation and and giving up and just falling into um, uh, despair. I'm sure that she wasn't happy about the way things were going, but she somehow held on. And God placed people in her life to to bring her through. And and so this this book is a, is a wonderful um, recollection of, of that that life journey and it's and it's a good read um so um can what else can you tell us about how so maybe some people who came in your life to help you you know um just in relation to miss martin not mm-hmm. only did she stay in my life until the baby was born but she stayed in our lives until he was five wow and just you know checking on us and making sure and by the time he was five my husband and i um, had been married at that point 
three years. We've been married three years. We had two more children and we were living in Washington State um, because we were now at the at our third duty station um, from his time in the military. Mm-hmm. So those divine connections and being able to recognize the right people who are supposed to be in your life and connecting with them. Don't reject them, connect with them. It means a lot, you know, and Mm -hmm. over the years, uh, there are so many people that God sent our way. Another gentleman um, that was sent by God for my husband and our our marriage, his name is Isaac Brown and he's still a part of our life today, praise God. Our kids love, they call him Uncle Ike. He was the very first person we met when we moved into our first apartment in 1996. Uh, my husband's first duty station was Fort Hood, Texas, and we were moving in and Ike was sitting outside watching us move. And I'll never forget, he said, I was watching you guys that day and I said to myself, that man made that lady mad. I wonder what he did. And he, I was hot and I was, I was hot, mm. I was tired. And we lived on the second floor and I'm moving all this stuff upstairs to the second floor. Plus we had a little one with us at that time. So he was right. I was very annoyed with my husband. <laughs> but what that relationship meant to us over time, having that wisdom. If I can say anything to a younger generation or to someone who's going through something and there's another person trying to give you wisdom, we're on the wisdom app. Receive wisdom. And my husband received wisdom from this gentleman because he was about the same age as our parents Mm -hmm. and it was what we needed because this is 1996 Mm -hmm. long distance cost especially in the daytime and at nighttime it still wasn't cheap enough for us to afford it but we needed that wisdom because we were 500 plus miles away from our parents so it wasn't like they could continue to give us that and the lord had ike right there and he was retired He had him right there for us. I think we often talk about what would have happened to us if we would have been too foolish to receive the wisdom that Ike would give us. Mm -hmm. On Mm -hmm. not just, you know, just being successful humans, you know, being better in your marriage, being better for my husband, being what a man and what a husband is supposed to do. Not what, you know, the bad influences were saying of the culture at the time and dumb money decisions at the time. But what does it look like? Um, what, what should it look like? And I thank God for him. I mean, there's so many, we can look back over time. There's so many amazing people that God had positioned in our life that spoke wisdom into our life uh, that helped us to weather a lot of the storms. Some of the storms we created, most of the storms we created. And also the ones that we had no control over. Mm-hmm. How to navigate them and make better decisions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, so, so you know, we, we, um, there's this uh, interdependency. We, we don't need to be so um, um, isolated and individualistic that, that we don't need anybody's help or that we reject the wisdom around the table. I think we can all bring some light into people's lives. Um, and I hope that somebody listening here today has been maybe heard something that they can tell somebody or something that's spoken to their own life as a, a, a as a encouragement, a word of encouragement. Now, Laquita, I, I, um, I, I hope that we can continue on this path of at least getting through this book. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, so so um, I'm going to I know I'm going to be here next week at the same time, Sunday, four o'clock. And I know, Laquita, if you're available, 
um, please come in and we can continue this conversation and, and on your own platform if you want to do it again. I think that the chapters, think about it, I think that the chapters, um, it would be a good project to just finish the book. Yes, I, I, I absolutely would love to. Um, thank you so much for that amazing offer. I will be available this same time next um, next Sunday for sure. Okay, okay. So let's maybe connect during the week and see exactly what we're going to do. Um, I'm ready to to wrap this up now. So, um, Laquita, can you just give us a, a, some closing words? Yes, yes, yes. What I would um, what I'd like to say is just if I could. Um, one of the quotes um, I received an amazing uh, review on Amazon from the book and that particular reader said her biggest takeaway was this uh, one quote that I said in the book and uh, what it is is it is acceptable necessary and indeed healthy to redefine and refine your definition of success as often as needed it has to grow as you grow our definitions of success must grow as we grow. We have to evaluate them, reevaluate them, and make necessary adjustments as we go. And not just being stuck in one frame of mind all of the time. So I, if I can leave the audience with anything, let me leave them with that. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today. And just for everybody's information, you can re listen to this or refer back to this. It'll be on Apple. It'll be on Amazon, iHeartRadio, YouTube. It'll be all over the place. It's a good um, project to follow as we hope to get through this book and leave you with a, a word of encouragement in your life. So thanks for being with us today. And we hope to visit with all of you again next week at the same time and, and on Laquita's show as well. So um, have a good day. God bless you. This is Faith Talk, too. and we will catch up next time. God bless you.